This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. It is a privilege always to be able to gather with God's people, especially on Christmas or nearing the Christmas season, to be reminded of the gift that God has given to us. So let's begin this time by committing ourselves to the Lord. Oh, Father, we thank you today as we gather that, God, we can look into your word openly together and with joy and voices sing loudly about Christ. Father, remember many of our brothers and sisters who can't do it at this time of the season, who more than ever are afraid of the persecutions that comes from their family, their friends, from their surroundings. But Father, we pray and hold them up to you as we put ourselves up to you as well, God, that as we come to you, that God, your word strengthen us, that your word bring us back to you. So Father, today we pray that you do not just engage our minds, but also engage our hearts and our hands for, for your glory and for that of Christ. Amen. Now as you step into the Christmas season of December, in fact, today is the third week of Advent, I think it's a very apt question to ask each other, what is your view of Christmas? What is your view of Christmas? Or perhaps to add on that, what do your actions reveal about your view of Christmas? Now, some, for some, Christmas is this great occasion where love, joy, peace uh, are being um, explored. For others, Christmas might be a time of loneliness and empty rituals. For some in developed countries, they associate Christmas as a time of war between religion and culture. Um, loosely used, sometimes they call it, they give the term the war of Christmas, where the ever-going push to dissociate Christianity and Christmas. Perhaps it is insisting that you should stop using Merry Christmas and just say Happy Holidays. Perhaps it's to replace the nativity scenes in um, in shopping centres with the man in red baggy clothes. Still others, in this Christmas uh, season, the Christian minorities, they actually feel real war between Christianity and Christmas in this season. I was just looking at an article at Christian Post about last year's Christmas and some of the Christians in India reported that they were too afraid to even celebrate Christmas because they have extremists uh, and radicals who were attacking them again and again. Dear friends, what is your view of Christmas? Or think it a bit deeper. What do your actions say about your view of Christmas? I was reading uh, an article about World War II and I read apparently in 1914 there was this time of kind of ceasefire and unofficial announcement on Christmas and pairing the, the, the sound of ruffle, rifles firing, shells exploding, kind of tapered down, closing uh, Christmas at some of the war fronts and there were even gestures of goodwill between the enemies. Let me read to you an account of this. Many Germans and British soldiers sang Christmas carols to each other across the line. And at certain points, the Allied soldiers even heard brass bands joining the Germans in their joyous singing. Now, at the first light of dawn on Christmas 1914, some German soldiers 
they kind of emerged out of their trenches and they approached the allied lines across the no man's land, calling out Merry Christmas in their enemy's native tongue. At first, the allied soldiers kind of feared it was a trick. But seeing the Germans were really unarmed, they climbed out of their trenches and shook their hands with the enemies. They even exchanged presents of cigarettes and plum puddings and sang carols and song. There was even a documented case of soldiers from opposite sides playing a good-natured game of soccer. Well, probably the days after they have to carry on what they have to do. But it was kind of a heartwarming read that at various times in history, Christians on occasion express love, joy, peace, and even reconciliation with enemies, even if just for a moment. But then I had the less heartwarming experience last week about Christmas. Now, I happened to be at North Bridge. For some reason, I was trying to look for some fishing tackles, some fishing uh, baits or uh, hooks. And as, a, as I walked past North Bridge, I saw this shop that was selling a lot of Christmas decoration. As, as a good um, Singaporean, this, the sign shop um, sales kind of just catch the side of my eye. I thought, I'm going to just do a pit stop. And I got diverted on my mission for fish tackles, and I went in. The, 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 the decoration was great. The music was there. There were trees. I was looking around. As my eyes did a tour around the place, I see the Christmas tree, the glitters and everything. And right at the top right corner, I saw this really big, huge red altar of our Asian religions. And that was a striking contrast to all the other things that the shop was presenting. It was a very striking commentary that Christmas really is not about Christ, in this shop at least, but it is very much of great commercial value. Now this morning, as we come to think about Christmas on the third heaven, I would like us to take a journey, a step back, and peer into the very beginning of Christmas, where it all began before the glitters of today, before the log cakes, the turkeys, the champagne, I want to bring you to visit two men. Two murderous men who had, a, who had to be confronted with Christmas at Christmas terms. And like you and me, they would have to decide what were their views of Christmas and what actions would they do in response. To Christmas. So join me as we travel to the first century where Christmas, though it wasn't on 21st, 25th December, was an event that demand polarized views that would help us, in fact, to be less surprised in our times when we see polarized views of Christmas. So join me as we begin with the first man that's found in our reading today in Matthew 2, 1 to 12. And 16 to 18, the man we are visiting was a king. His name was Herod the Great. Now here's the historical account of first Christmas. A child was born by the name Jesus. He was also given the name Christ. He was born in a little town in Judea in Bethlehem. Well, Bethlehem 2,000 years ago wasn't that kind of bustly place that you imagine. It's a small, quiet town with no commercial significance. It was just a small town under the big umbrella of the Roman Empire. No, you, you will not find big markets in Bethlehem. If you want to get big stuff, go to the city in Jerusalem where the population is much bigger, where the temple of the Jews were there and their supposed king, Herod the Great. 
The only significance of Bethlehem 2,000 years ago was its link as a birthplace of the Jewish greatest king, King David. But what's that in the news where the empire is run by the Roman world? So there we have it. But then, at this first Christmas, the birth of this baby Jesus would soon stir up Jerusalem and rock its neighboring towns. So let me read to you the first this account in, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when he rose and have come to worship him. Now, while everyone is kind of minding their own business, Herod the Great was ruling the Jews, suddenly a group of Magi, magicians or astrologers of some capacity from foreign land, appeared at the doorstep of King Herod and said, Hey, good to see you. We are here to visit and worship the new king. To say the least, it was a surprising sight for the Jews, the local Jews, that this magi from a distant land who seemed to know astronomy and history had for some reason spotted the rising star of David, the rise of the new king of the Jews. And so much so that they were willing to travel to visit and to worship him. But well, this news really didn't sit very well with King Herod. Although Herod was raised as a Jew, he was not really a pure Jew. He was supposedly, I think, an idiomite by birth, a descendant of Esau. And this news that the new king of the Jews was born greatly disturbed him. And Matthew continued in verse 3, When King Herod heard that this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Well, the word Messiah really is a Hebrew word for Christos in Greek or Christ uh, in our language, which is where Christmas comes from. And he asked them, where is this Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. If the news of the Magi worried Herod, the confirmation by the religious leaders, according to centuries-old prophecies, really hit Herod on the foot and those who swore allegiance to him. Because history foretold Christ's birth, or history has foretold Christmas. And the cosmos have drawn the foreigners to worship him. And the religious leaders, though not worshipping this Christ, confirms that he is God's promised one, to be the shepherd, to be the protector, to be the rescuer, to be the king of God's people. Now, the question will be, is the arrival of this Christ pleasing or good news? Well, listen to Herod's response in verse 7 with me. If you have your Bible, look at it with me or the screen. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that well, I too may go and worship him. So after much thoughts, King Herod hatched this plot. There's only going to be one king. It's going to be him. And he's going to ask the, Herod, uh, the Magi secretly to, out of goodwill, let me know where you find the child so that I can go and worship him as if it's true. But as he said his goodbye to the Magi and they head to Bethlehem, 
There was really no celebration in the palace. No joy, no peace. The knowledge of this Christ that was born, the knowledge of this first Christmas, was not a happy occasion. Not for the one who wants to keep his kingship, regardless of his legitimacy uh, under Christ. And the material accounts carry on. The Magi, they carry on. They saw the star. They ran ahead. They, f- they found the child. They rejoiced. They celebrated. They gave treasures. And then, in a vision, in a dream, they were warned not to go back to Herod. And so, they left from another path to their own country. Well, the Magi had no intention to be part of Herod's plot. They ran off and Herod was furious. Look at verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and his vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Herod, he was a bloodthirsty man and the news of Christmas was not an offer of joy, but a challenge and a threat for him. I was just having lunch with Roll this week and we kind of, he reminded me of the historical joke where it is better to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's sons. Because Herod would not kill the pigs as a Jew. He wants to look like a Jew. But Herod would kill his sons if there's a tinge and hint that they want to take his throne. So here is a reflection to visit this first man, King Herod. The knowledge of the birth of Christ on that first Christmas for him, it was not peace it was not reconciliation, reconciliation with God. Though that was the message of the prophets. For the peace and reconciliation with God includes a surrender of one's kingship to Christ. Christmas then becomes a threat when Herod refused to give his throne or his kingship back to God. So the result of Christmas was his massacre of all the children who were two and under. Well, he has found out how old Christ might be. So as it turns out, the offer of Christmas was not received with a warm welcome, but it was a stir of his murderous nature to lie, to commit hideous murder. Now it would be hard to imagine if Herod ever gets peace, because he never knew if he really did kill the Christ. And he never had the chance to see the rise of Christ in his ministry. Now friends, we'll come back to Matthew 2 in a month's time to see Herod's account is really just a small part of the revelation of Christ. But I think it is worth recognizing that the news of Christmas is never neutral. It evokes, if not, it demands a response. All who hear about the true intention of Christmas will need to make a non-neutral response when they look at Christmas. For Christmas, it is announcement of Christ to be born king of the world of yours and my life, whether we are willing or whether we are reluctant. It is also announcement that he comes and he will rescue those who are willing. Now, as we walk away from the palace of King Herod, as we kind of cover our ears, as we hear the screams of Bethlehem, I'd like to bring you to the second man who, has to conf- who had to confront Christmas just as Herod, have, uh, Herod had. And that man, 
I'd like you to meet is Saul of Tarsus, a highly intelligent religious elite. Well, many of us kind of are familiar with Saul or Paul, his story, but I want to recall his story to help us remember this Christmas that Saul was a murderous man. He was a bloodthirsty man before he became the gracious man that we come to love and want to emulate. Now Saul, he was a man born in Tarsus, supposedly around 81 to 5, not very different in age to Christ Jesus himself. And uh, Tarsus is located in our modern day Turkey. And while Jesus the Christ was born from the kingly line of David, Saul of Tarsus was born from another kingly line. Saul was born in the tribe of Benjamin, of which David's predecessor, um, um, David's predecessor, King Saul, was born. Perhaps Saul was called Saul because his parents named him after King Saul to be the great man. For Saul came from a family of Pharisees, meaning he came from a fervent Jewish nationalistic background. And unlike Herod, who wants to look Jewish, Paul was very much Jewish in every bit of him. He was a pure Jew by birth and upbringing and well recognized by those among, amongst them that he is a man of strict adherence to the Mosaic law. Now in the early days and early years, Saul of Tarsus was already well known in Jewish history, in the law, in the prophets. In fact, Saul was mentored by one of the greatest rabbi of that time, Gamaliel as we found in Acts chapter 22. The, the book of Acts, in fact, tells us that Saul, who had been lined up, uh, who has been above his peers at his age, he was smart, he was religious, he was fervent, he would perhaps even be lined up for the future Jewish Supreme Court known as the Sanhedrins. Saul, while, while King Herod would have represented the Roman Empire in terms of political authority, Saul in time to come, and growingly, would become a representative supposedly for God in the religious authority. So, Paul is a man of great known at the time. His zeal, his aggression made him an extremist among his peers. So, as it come to Saul of Tarsus of the Bible, we find ourselves looking right at the face of a man of a rising star among the religious elites. Heritage, birth, intelligence, thirst, zeal, unsurpassed. And so was his blood thirst against Christians who turned to Christ Jesus. Now Saul, he might not have met Jesus in, in the thirty years, uh, in the three and a half years of his ministry, but Saul would have believed that Christmas was a mistake. Jesus should not have been called the Christ. And he will give his life to eliminate any tinge of Christ amongst his people, of Jesus amongst his people. But everything changes in the famous passage of Acts 9. Let me read this to us and join me as we recall this. Acts 9 verse 1, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, that is, Christians. He ran to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. 
As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, so why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He replied, now go up, get up, go into the city and you will be told what to do. The murderous Saul, who bore hatred to Jesus Christ, because he had not known Christ properly, became totally transformed when he had to face Jesus Christ and the truth about him. And so transformed was Paul as we look at this account that he turned from being a murderous man to becoming a Christian whose blood was sought after by those who have called him brothers, who had previously um, looked up to him. And so he turned from being a persecutor to becoming the persecuted. Last week I was reading an article on open doors, and this article caught my eye. The title was this, Reuben, child soldier at 7, pastor at 15. Let me share with you Reuben's story, because it brings to mind the story of Saul, of Tarsus, even in today's life. Let me read to you. Reuben was only 7 when he began training as a guerrilla fighter. Well, that's the age of my son, can't imagine that. And listen, by age 10, Reuben was already well known for his aggression. In fact, he was elevated by then to a position of leadership and became the commander of 80 armed men. When Reuben was 12, he was sent as a spy into a neighboring village, seeking, sneaking around, trying to gather intel. Reuben later shared that he encountered a group of pastors who regularly met with songs, humblers, guitars, tambourines, smiles. They saw this young boy, gave him a hug every time. They didn't even know who he was. Neither did Reuben know what he was into. Because along the way, as he was spying on them, he got to know about this Christ. In fact, that one year time, so many things happened. In one case, he was almost at a point of death that he was convinced it was only because of God that he was alive. And at 13... God's confrontation of Reuben caused him to give his life to Christ. And after his conversion, he renounced his, the, the guerrillas altogether and the persecution turns on him. Reuben wrote this, From the day of my conversion, they now want to kill me. At the age of 15, Reuben became a pastor. He began to preach the gospel of peace and reconciliation. Many attended his services, including fellow guerrillas. But there was when trouble begins. You know, the conversion of a radical, zealous extremist who, between 10 and 13, had already been a leader among 80 armed men. A persecutor, but now, at the feet of Jesus, at the news of Christ, he had to give it up, and he chose to give it up, and he becomes the persecuted. Now, dear friends, there is no neutrality when it comes to the confrontation that Christmas brings to us. That Jesus Christ is born, He's born to rule, He's born to save. The truth of Christ and, and, and Saul's change of view, the truth about Christ and Saul's change of view about Christmas led him to become the apostle that we love, the one who we read from the letters that he wrote to churches, becoming a messenger of Christ to the Gentiles, foreigners to you, to me. Now listen to how Paul, who was Saul, who was later known as Paul, think about Christmas. 
of Christ coming to the world. Let me read our responsive reading partially for us. This is what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, 15. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor, glory, forever and ever. Amen. Now to King Herod, Christ's arrival on Christmas was a threat to his own kingship. That is a right judgment of Herod. Because it is a threat to one's own kingship. To anyone who wants to live his or her own life, his or her own way, to be his or her own king, to be the center of the universe, Christ comes as a threat. But I'm not sure about you. For me, I'm not King Herod. (laughs) At least that's not my job title. I can't do what he does. But I find him more familiar than I would like to admit. The temptation of wanting to live as my own king at various times of life, even when it's not legitimate. And those times when I hurt others because I find I'm more important than them. And of course, those times where I feel that I have the right to be impatient and unhappy when I'm struck in a traffic jam with all these self-centered people, and the worst of whom stares right at me when I look at the mirror. Christ is a threat to a person's kingship, and Herod knew it. And he responded the way that he wanted. The announcements of the arrival of God's chosen king for the world does not allow us to have neutral response. The announcements polarizes everyone. Herod, when the truth of Christmas was revealed, exposed his murderous heart. It was there all along. He exposed it, he further hardened himself, and he declared war with God. For Saul, God's mercy repent caused him to repent when the truth of Christmas was revealed to him. Now, of course, it didn't come from himself. Even 1 Timothy 1.14 that we read just now says that he says this, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So, so Saul changed his view about Christmas and from the murderous man, verse 15, the famous verse, here's the trustworthy saying, deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus, he came into the world Save sinners. Christmas was the day Christ Jesus came into the world in order to save sinners with immense patience for murderous men like Paul and for us. Are you a sinner? Just like Saul of Tarsus? Do we recognize we are sinners and we need Christ for him to display his immense patience to have us, so that when we acknowledge Him, He says, and I give you eternal life. This is what Saul of Tarsus, whom we call Paul, says. Those who believe in Him will receive the eternal life we do not deserve. Look at verse 17 with me. Even as Paul speaks about Christ's saving grace on Him, as he recalls what Christ has done, he cannot help but burst into one of the most beautiful um, words, In doxology, he says, And to the King Eternal, 
immortal, invisible, only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, God the Father, God the Son, God the Father who loves us and sent God the Son for us, and God the Holy Spirit who allows us and Saul and Paul to know Him in response to Him. He is the King, and He deserves all glory, as always. Dear friends, as we come to ourselves, what is your and my view about Christmas? What are you busy thinking about today? What are you busy thinking about this Christmas? Do yours and my actions say about our view of Christmas? It's about Christ. Or do you think about all the things that needs to be done to celebrate Christmas? You know, presents, Christmas trees, turkey, holiday bonuses. Well, these are great things. These are nice things. We enjoy it. But what is the central thing that occupies our mind in the midst of all these preparations? God views Christmas as the day where Christ Jesus gave up His life and gave up His heavenly glory and put on our earthly humanity, ready to die even as He was ushered in on that very first day on Christmas. Saul puts in, In Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But Paul, he can only see his own sin clearest. And he looks at his own sins and he says, And I am the worst. These words have been used all through ages as Christians look at our hearts and say, God, Paul probably haven't seen me when he writes this. Now I found it impossible to think of myself better than a sinner, well, better than, um, than Paul when he says he's a sinner. But Paul's statement is true because he could see his own heart above others and he could see that is the worst that's ever been around. I wonder what you see when you look at your own hearts, when I look at my own hearts, as we look at Christmas. What is the central thing that occupies us when we think about Christmas? For Paul, I say it again, that he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. No, just a few days ago, R.C. Sproul, the third, a very prominent Reformed preacher, he died at the age of 78. I don't know if any of you have heard his sermons. I've listened to it. I've mixed feeling about the news. I, I feel with gladness for him. I feel with sadness for us. But most of all, I'm thankful for how God used him to speak gospel truth fearlessly and faithfully. And this is what Sproul says when he was alive, and now he's dead. He says, there are only two ways of dying. We can die in faith, or we can die in our sins. That is the confrontation Christmas has for the world. King Herod chose his path to die in sin. Saul of Tarsus chose the path of faith in Christ, to die in Christ. How about us? How about you? How about me? Dear friends, now, if you are someone who has been around for a while or first time here and you are still thinking about Christianity, can I invite you to think about Christmas in the logical way that the Bible presents about Christ in the Christmas and not the man in that red baggy clothes that always tells you you are just a little bit bad but you are always good when it comes to the right time. I invite us to, if you are someone like that, to, to think about Christ, to think about the historical birth that points to his historical death, his announcement to rule the world, but his announcement to save those 
who will come to him. Now, I'm not asking you to be, to ask, I'm not asking you if you are Herod or Saul, because you are not Herod and you are not Saul. But as we have journeyed to look at these two men, they point us that there is no neutrality when it comes to the news of Christmas, that you have to respond one way or another. And I pray, perhaps today you will recognize Christ as God's Son, born to save us, the perfect King born to rule over your lives and my lives. Now, I'd love to chat more if you're someone who kind of think about this and want to think a bit more about that. But if you're a Christian, can I say that we can rejoice in this wonderful time of Christmas for what Christ has done for us. But just a caution, a caution is this, will we miss Christ in our busy preparation for Christmas? Or to put it another way, what do our actions reveal about our thoughts of Christmas this season, this year? Now let me end with this story. I thought this was quite, quite an interesting, funny story. This story goes that there's a mother, she was holding a celebration for the birth of a newborn son. She invited a bunch of her friends over to celebrate his arrival. She welcomed her guests. They were all having a great time celebrating, eating, drinking. After a while, one of the ladies says, Come on, bring the baby out. Let us see him. So the mother went to get the baby from his crib, but he was nowhere to be found. Do I have a picture there? She started to panic. She started to feel fearful, careful, almost totally distraught. But then, she remembered. She happened to have put the baby at her parents' place just that morning. And in her busyness, left the baby there at her parents, came back to celebrate his arrival, but the baby wasn't there. No, as we celebrate Christmas, many of us or many people in the world, even Christians can get so caught up with celebration, we forget the Christ and we just have a massive people there celebrating massiveness. Brothers and sisters in Christ, here's a suggestion for this coming week so that we do not miss Christ when we focus on Christmas. So if you're someone who has not grown up with Christmas tradition or Advent tradition, can I suggest perhaps today, we can begin by ourselves, with our friends or family, to read a passage each day about Christmas, to think deeper and with greater thankfulness for Christ and what we celebrate, to give thanks to God for all the things that money cannot buy, in particular, the relationship that we have with Him. Now, for those of us who are not sure how to get started, I've actually included in your bulletin not one, but two Advent readings courtesy of Desiring God. So uh, I put it as tiny URL so you can go and search for it. Uh, it'll be a good time to just flip on it if you, ha- if you do not have your own kind of tradition uh, to start reading and think a bit more about that. But perhaps it's also a good time in this season of giving to think how we can give and show love to others who cannot show it back to us. Because that's exactly what happened on Christmas when God gave His Son. There's no gift exchange. What can we give to God? Perhaps it's a good time in times of giving to give to others that they may know Christ. They can't give back, but they will know Christ. You can do it locally, and there are plenty of international Christian organizations online who can help us to do that. 
Perhaps it is to follow up with those we met in our dialogue sessions over the past week um, to talk further about Christmas. Perhaps it is to pause and pray for Christians all over the world who would face persecution this very week by their families, by their friends, by extremists, by those who used to be their friends, by those like Reuben. I pray for us that as we approach Christmas this year, it will not just be one day affair of party, of loneliness, of indifference, but it will be a continual reminder of God's offer of love, joy and peace and reconciliation in the Christ of Christmas. So that on that final day when Jesus comes back, we'll not be in a day of shock and horror, but we'll be in a day ready for celebration when Christ, with his masses of people, will give thanks to God. Shall we pray? Oh Father, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you for Christ, our Lord Jesus. What desperate need as we look at the world and ourselves the need for real love, joy, peace, and reconciliation with you. Oh, Father, please forgive us of all our sins as we confess them to you, asking for forgiveness that we can have in Christ, because he came to save terrible sinners like us. Oh, Father, in Christ, all of us who turn from our sins and believe in him are promised eternal life, so we cling on to this as we celebrate Christmas. And for this season, as with the rest of our lives, we confess with Apostle Paul, the eternal King, immortal, invisible, the only God, belongs all honour and glory. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.